Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, fellas. Hey, David. Hey, Kurt. How are you guys doing tonight? A lot better than a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot better <laughs> than I was at noon today. I mean, the whole the mood of uh, oil country gentlemen went from complete and utterly sour to almost <laughs> elated in about uh, 15 minutes, if I have the timing right. Because in those 15 minutes, we went from all kind of bitching about a fantasy you and Benning and a lot of people weren't necessarily happy. You know, they were kind of like everyone wanted Seth Jarvis so much. And, and no, this is no knock on Dylan Holloway. It speaks probably more to our hockey knowledge than anything else that we all had our our, our hearts set on a player we'd never, hardly any of us had ever seen play over another player that we'd never seen play, but people <laughs> had their hearts set on Seth Jarvis. And we got Dylan Holloway, who may turn out to be the better player. But for all of those reasons, um, things were just, and, you know, the, the, there was a tweet that came out that the Oilers, you know, it was confirmed about uh, not matching uh, a fantasy use, uh, make, not making the qualifying offer to a fantasy and betting. And then, then there was like three oh. spurts of news. There was the Carter Savoy draft. There was Yesapuli Arvi's return on a fantastic contract, like you know, mm. frankly. Uh, um, and then there was the drafting of Tyler Tololi. What is his name, Kurt? Tulio. 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 Mister T. Mister Double T <laughs> was drafted, huh? and uh, people all of a sudden. I couldn't imagine like the explosion, the the amount of agreement when Pooley RV signed. For once, oil country was united in applause for the 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 moment. If nothing else, a moment. Maybe you know the GM, the player. Lots of kudos for both of them. But everybody, everybody seemed happy for a second. Maybe even Mark Spector. <laughs> Mark gets a little bit of heat because he's criticized Pulley RV in the past, but, uh, uh <laughs> but everyone seemed happy. Bruce, what Bruce, I had to laugh with the, uh, I had to laugh with the outpouring over Tulio, like only in Edmonton would everybody be thrilled with a fifth round draft choice. <laughs> well, they were thrilled on Skype, all those young players, man. They were like, that was amazing. Yeah. People taken in the fifth round, like who knew how excited people in the sixth, fifth, oh. sixth round would be when they get drafted. Wow. Yeah. That was pretty cool. It was. My thought is that the, uh, the morning was so long, right? I mean, there was what happened last night. And last night, I mean, the three of us were talking about the, the State of the Union, you know, with Kleppbaum and, and, and McDavid and all, you know, all the, all the lost draft choices and all the things that have happened. Uh, and then the, the entire time that it took that second round to be called, which was like two and a half hours through the second round knowing that we never had a second round pick because we spent it on nine games of a player and it just i mean it was just a sour taste in my <laughs> mouth following all of that i mean it was well the drop then started we got, at 9 30 and the Oilers made their first pick at something like one o'clock i was, like I was gonna say later. because we we just got into the third round it looked like something's finally going to happen and then can trade down trade. <laughs> right well, so the, the, the trade down was the thing that turned the day around because 
I personally have been personally, and you've heard me, David, many times in this podcast. Anybody who listens to me, mourning the loss of draft choices, the ones for Chirelli and McClellan, the one for Neil, these ones that are traded away for not very much. Well, today, basically, Ken Holland created a draft choice out of nothing. He had a 76 draft choice. He traded away for two picks, and we got two guys that either of them I would have been happy to take at number 76 and called a good pick. And they got ain't, two guys with that, that one number 76 pick. And that, what do you know? Here's the thing about this. Here's Maybe you can help. I don't know. Like, I don't know if either of you are math geniuses. I, I maybe I'm a little skeptical that any, that any of us are. But here's what I want to figure out. So there's all these people who do these uh, worked out the value of draft picks. So like if the first draft, first overall pick in the draft is worth 100 career NHL points mm-hmm. and the 10th pick in the draft is worth 20 NHL career value points and the 75th pick is worth two NHL career value points and then the 100th pick is worth uh, one and a half and the 125th right. pick is worth uh, 0.9, 1.4. let's say. So when the Oilers made that, so when the owners made that trade, when you worked out the career value of the two picks, it was about the same. The 75th mm-hmm. pick had the same career value when you added them up. But here's what I don't understand. Here's what I don't know about those numbers. And in terms of analysis, when you divide that career value for a lower round pick, you know, whether it's, you know, one or two or three or whatever it is, when you divide that into from one player into two or three players, how does that change the equation? Because it's it just just intuitively, I'm I'm thinking, okay, you have two players who are like all of those players are very low bets to make it, and the career value comes from an averaging of mm-hmm. of um, the 75th over the overall pick or the 100th overall pick. What what you're really saying is to get a to get a decent NHL player, there's a slightly better chance at 75th than at 100. But if you if you break it into two and you have just slightly less odds, is that a better bet? Oh yeah. Than going I so. so I I think it is too, Bruce. So the career value doesn't quite capture it, does it? Then if you're just looking at if you can break it into three, or when the when the when the five like was, my T did. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a really good strategy? Um, or am I getting something wrong here? And how does well, career value express it incorrectly then? Like as a as a way to analyze it. Well, the only way you can get two good players is to make the trade and then make two good picks. Because if you keep the pick and make a good pick, you've only got one player, right? So yeah. that, that So right away, the math is skewed because you have different possible outcomes on the two different sides. But, I mean, if you traded, you know, first overall for number 80 and number 81, I'm, I'm guessing first overall is probably going to have a better value. But if you're talking about way down there in the... And the nether regions of the draft, you still got to have the scouts to pull off the, the picks. And you know, I, I think the last time I personally saw the Oilers pick a fourth and a fifth rounder in fairly close succession, where I went, you know, I like that pick. I really like that pick. Was uh, when they picked uh, Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear back to back in 2015. And I mean, yep. I would wouldn't said, well, maybe one of the two will make in the NHL. If you told me five years from now, they're both going to be NHL players, I would have been elated. Well, maybe in five years from now, these two guys will be, or maybe one of them will be. I just think they got a better chance of delivering. Because I think that, you know, I mean, you look at the picks where they got these guys, and then you look at the rankings, and they're all, all the rankings rank both guys way higher than where Edmonton picked them. So unless all the rankings are wrong and the scouts are wrong, 
or something happens, you know, you pick a guy when he's 18 and by the time he's 23, he might have been hurt one or two times or who knows what all happens between here and there. But these are guys with a chance, it seems like to me. Well, and Bruce, if you circle back to your original point, if you're down a pint to begin with, um, bringing another pick back in is never a bad thing, right? It's just, it's a winning strategy from the point from which Holland started, which I think was your original point. I think that's probably the key point. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you can only have so many players coming into your system at one point, too, because you only have so many NHL contracts, so many many good jobs at the AHL level, too, so you don't want to just take all your top, your second, second and third picks and turn them into fourth and fourth and fifth round picks. But, uh, although anyway, this, they cleared lots of guys out today, <laughs> this, this work today. Yeah. Not, none of them. I didn't think, uh, were, will be missed, uh, except for the, aside from a fantasy on betting. Uh, so let's talk about, um, the picks that they made. So Carter Savoy was really rated highly by a, he's an AJ JHL player with the Sherwood park crusaders, um, top scorer there. He's, uh, Scott Wheeler of the Athletic was particularly enthused with this player. Had him rated, rated I think, thirty-second overall, and just was in love with this guy's shot. Mm-hmm. Essentially, saying this guy's shot is maybe the second best shot in this draft. Like his ability to get off a shot, he can score from bad angles. He can score from outside. He was comparing him to Alexander Holtz. Brian Lawton was also absolutely raving about uh, Carter Savoy's shot. So. Um, you know, it wasn't in my, in my mind. Maddie, Jim Matheson of the Journal actually had uh, tipped uh, tipped off everyone. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Maddie was just guessing, but it was a pretty good guess that the orders might be taken, Carter Savoy. But um, it, it's, it looks to me like he's going to the University of Denver, I believe, a, a good hockey school, just a high-skill player. You know, we've been told for years that a good bet late in, late in any draft is drafting smaller players with high skill because that's where the payoff is going to come. They tend to be undervalued. So this, this just on a number of fronts, small, like draft history, hometown player, scorer, going to U.S. college hockey where he can develop, it just, it just set off the pleasure centers in the brains of Oilers fans across the country. Everyone was super happy, I think, with that pick. What did you guys I think? Thought it also, well, I thought it also filled uh, uh, an organizational need that's been around for a long time. We've, we've been missing an actual shooter in this organization for a long time. And, and if you take Leon Dreisaitl, you know, out of the, out of the equation, there's not That's a, a bunch of them on this up. team. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but you know what, it's a, it's a big step down from there in terms of shooter, right? Yes. You know, and, and you could argue that Everly was, was a pure goal scorer to some extent, but shooter, no. I mean, he, he had a quick, accurate shot, but, but not heavy at all. Uh, so this is something this organization hasn't had in a while, and I find that pretty intriguing. Well, you mentioned Leon Dreisaitl. I happen to think Leon's a pretty good passer, too, so I like to have the idea of him passing the puck to someone else that can snipe yeah. the way he does. Yeah, so. no kidding. Well, we've had a team of passers for a long time, right? And It's, it's nice to, to see a few guys come into the organization that can shoot the pill. We had some shooters eh, that didn't work out, like Yakupov. Obviously, is the biggest one. Like he was a pure, sh- he was a shooter, and he just kept <laughs> whiffing on the puck. <laughs> he really did. He fell down a lot on his face when he was trying to shoot. And uh, he was—that's the best example. Tater Hall was something of a shooter as well, but he never really was able to get truly untracked as a pure shooter, like Drysaddle has, even mm-hmm. in that top role. And then. You know, that second line shooter, which you see, see on some teams, you know, the guy who scores about 20 to 25 goals because in that shooter role, 
we haven't had that guy for, for, you know, Jarrett Stoll maybe would be the last that there's an example of that kind of player who could really fire that puck, but yeah, good to have him. Savoy, I mean, there's lots of knocks against him about, you know, his, his defensive side. It's stuff that can be taught, but it's going to have to be taught and he's going to have to demonstrate that, that he's got the desire and the commitment to, uh, you know, be willing to learn and do that stuff because, you know, you can't be a one-trick pony and play in the NHL. But if you're coming in with a trick that's an elite quality and that trick happens to be shooting the puck, then that's a real nice head start on on uh, on a career. And, I mean, we'll see. They're they're rolling the dice, but they're rolling the dice from the Sanford on at least one elite skill. <coughs> and he had huge numbers. I mean, 53 goals. He only played 54 games. It's 90% of a typical AJHL schedule. He scored the most goals in this league in 19 years. 53 oh. goals. <laughs> I wonder what he would have wow. got in the WHL if he had played on a WHL team this year. Like, would he have scored 30, 25, 30? I wonder what the... I would uh, think. I, I don't. I, I can't say. I don't. I don't know what what it is. I mean, it, it's obviously guys that have draft age. Many of them are beyond the age AHL, except for the people going the college route, which uh, which he is. And of course, he's been playing in Sherwood Park, and now that I want to go out and scout the guy, he's moving to Denver. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about Yesapulia Yarvi. And I think um, I've been bullish on this ever since he left. I thought. There's a real good chance he's coming back. I thought right from the start, this is an excellent move by Pugliarvi. I know some people were down on it. But the fact is, if the Oilers had signed him last fall, it was a really bad fit because his confidence was low and he was in a contract situation where he had to come in and help the Oilers immediately and make the team because they had run out of options with him. If they sent him down, they were going to lose him on the waiver draft. So it just it, he was coming back from injury. He needed to rebuild his confidence. And I give Pugliarvi all kinds of credit in the world for being a young man who took his fate in his own hands and made a controversial move that was heavily criticized by some. Going back Still to Finland, yeah, going back to Finland and getting his game and his life and his head and his body together um, and doing that. I just thought, what a, what a smart thing for you to do. And I also thought there's a silver lining. This could still work out for the Oilers because the Oilers, if he had signed with the Oilers, I think he wouldn't be with the Oilers right now. I don't think it was going to work out. He needed to have that full year to get back his game and get back his confidence. And and then the second thing that really worked out was the change of leadership and Ken Holland coming in. And at, at what great work by Ken Holland on this. Right from the start, he sent out the right messages. You know, we're open to having this player come back. Um doesn't make any sense to trade him. I'm not trading him. I'm a, like, I'm not a dummy. And I think he conveyed that to Pugliarvi and his agent. And I think it finally kind of, everything started to sink in with everyone that the best bet for this player, player and team, was for him to come back. So I, I think that's, I, I, now I might be wrong, but I think that's that narrative is now kind of maybe the dominant narrative. And that's why people are happy. They just see this, this really has, it's kind of a happy story. It's not even a neg negative story about a player quitting on his team. It's a good story about a player coming, you know, taking a chance, getting his head together, his life together, and then everyone coming back and trying to make it go. Agree or disagree, Kurt Levins? Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree to a point because I, I still think that the player quit on his teammates. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Maybe he had to sort his head out. Uh, maybe he had to mature. Uh, and so maybe these steps allowed him to do that. Um, I think a lot of people are, first of all, let me say, 
uh, the best value Ken Holland was ever going to get out of this player was to re-sign him. Uh, you're, otherwise, it was going to be cents on the dollar, right? So having done that, I think a lot of people are still getting ahead of themselves. And I see all kinds of people saying, you should be up with McDavid. Uh, I think there's a 50-50 there's a chance that he won't work out. Yeah. Oh, a higher, maybe higher right. than that. Yeah. Right. But the contract that Ken Holland brought him back on is designed so that's not a killer if it happens. It's, I don't think anybody expected a two-year deal. I didn't. No. Uh, I did for... I did predict the, the, the low, you know, the, the one, 1.1, 1.2 million. I didn't foresee the really smart part about it, especially this year, is that year one is just, just a $900,000 cap hit. Talk about lowering the risk on an investment. I, I think that's it. It's a fabulous contract. Makes it much easier to trade, too, you know, if you think about it. Like, yes. if it's not going to work out here, you can, you can now move this player uh, much easier than I than I think. Kurt, why do you say he quit on his team? So let's. I just want to dig into that oh, a little bit more because I think that's a that's a. What do you? Because I, I think I'm going to say that's that's kind of an old. I think it's old school. Like in the past, that's what because well, players all they he, put on he, their team all the time now. Everyone's always. It's a free. It's a different world right now. You know where people can do what they want, go where they want, and and the business allows that. Uh, the business is made. I don't. That. I don't. I don't, so why, I don't why buy that at all. The, okay, the, so the player, the player and his agent said, "I'm taking my hockey sticks and I'm going home." Okay, and I'm here to tell you that that to the person, every single person in that dressing room would have gone fine, go. <laughs> and if and if you think that's a recipe for building a strong dressing room, uh, I think you're wrong. Well, they um, were unanimous. <laughs> yeah. However, I think all the guys in that room really want to win, and I think they know that the kid has talent. And they're going to be big enough and magnanimous enough to say, okay, this guy gets a second chance because he, he's, he's, he's coming back. He's choosing to come back. So I do think he has repaired it to this point. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not willing to give the guy a free, free pass for, for packing his hockey bag and going home. Um, I'll never believe that that was the right thing to do. He didn't have a contract, though. It's not like he walked away the way... Uh... Jonathan Drouin did from Tampa Bay when he was in the middle of a contract and he didn't like the way he was was uh, being utilized, so he walked out. Well, but he didn't have a contract because they made it clear he wasn't going to play in Edmonton. His agent said it. So it's, you know, no, he didn't have a contract, but well, they played, were interested he, in one. He lived, up, he lived up to his contract and he had, uh, he had other options and he had reason to be not too happy with uh, things that had happened here, including the you know, the surgery thing and all that. I mean, I think the year off breathing period was good for both sides. And, you know, I mean, it's happened before. I mean, under Ken Holland's watch, Yuri Hoodler went back to uh, check for a year and then he came back the next year and carried on as a Red Wing. And, I mean, Mark Giordano, he went over to Russia and he came back and they made him captain of the team. I mean, some might say he bailed on his team when he went to Russia. I mean... I don't know if I see it that way. I just, these days you have contracts and, you know, you don't own the player, you own the contract. And, the, you know, I mean, the two sides have to agree on the next one. You guys yeah. watch that Michael Jordan thing with Dennis Rodman and how Phil Jackson handled uh, Dennis Rodman in the last championship season. De Dennis Rodman did quit on the team. He went to Vegas in the middle <laughs> of the year. 
took off. <laughs> and and the, the, the coach just was, okay, running a team is a complicated thing. This player needs this. He needs to bl- blow off steam. Dennis is going to be Dennis. I'm going to say Yessa is going to be Yessa. He's maybe a little bit different player. Now, they're different players. You know, Rodman had really proven himself as a champion by then. Right. But, you know, there, I just think there are different ways of handling these things, different ways of finessing situations with personnel and with people. And I'm liking what I'm seeing with Holland and Tippett in, in, in this regard. And maybe they can do this because there wasn't the frustration that Todd McClellan and maybe Ken Hitchcock went through with his player, trying to work with him and being frustrated. But I, but I still hold, and I want to hear what you guys, before we move on, I want to hear one, one final issue. I still hold that the whole mcdavid Drysettle um dynamic that Pulley Arvey got caught up in the meat grinder of that politics in a way of team politics those two players were desperate wanted to play together and when they were playing together when Jesse Pulley Arvey was playing with either one of them that meant they were not playing together and they were not happy about that they wanted to play together I think that's clear by now and that dynamic is now gone I think to a, almost completely gone they know they're going to be on their own separate lines and I think this will help Pull the RV finding a place with either one of them actually as as their center, um, as may happen. So, what do you think of that theory, gentlemen? Uh, I don't I don't mind it. I mean, I think there's there's certainly some legitimacy to it, and I think there's some a case can be made that not only Pull the RV's a year and a half older than uh, last spring, but uh, so are many of his teammates. You know, and they're going to be more mature. I think they're going to be more focused on the goal, which is the team winning getting the best team they possibly can on the ice i mean i'd make the case today you could look at today and say the oilers uh in a sense traded andreas anathiu for yesa pull yarby and and 1.8 million in cap space and maybe they win maybe they win that trade you know, I mean, what are you going to spend the money on? The three million you didn't spend on Athanasio? Well, you just took forty percent of it, and you brought in a twenty-two-year-old right winger that uh, uh, still has a tantalizing uh, amount of talent. Kurt, it'll it'll depend on what headspace he comes back in, and I and I think if the two sides have met and agreed on a contract and agreed for him to come back. I'm making an assumption, it's probably a safe one, that his headspace is immeasurably better than it was when he left. And that'll be a good sign. Um, I can tell you two of the reasons why things didn't work out when he was here is that teammates didn't want to play with him. Yeah. And it was partly because he, he was stubborn and he wasn't willing to fit into the system. Now, he's a year, 18 years older now. And especially when you're that young, 18 months is a long time. Uh, and so I think there'd be a lot of room for him to think about things, adjust, grow. Uh, and for all I've heard from a couple of people who know him, he's actually a good kid at heart. And if he's had a chance oh, to yeah. kind of reset, well, then that it might work out. It really might. But I, but I go back to having serious reservations about, about how he conducted himself when he was here. That still leads me to think that He's kind of skated out on everybody. But in the next breath, I'll say people can change. Uh, and if he's coming back in a new headspace and his teammates are looking at him as if he's coming back in a new headspace, I agree with you. It's got a, it's got a chance at working. 
And I've always said this, as much as I've had some issues with the young guy, I hope it works out for him, for him and the team. So my fingers are crossed and probably my toes too. Well, where, I mean, I don't understand Finnish, but uh, where you could see uh, him getting his head back on the way it, it was, like the way it naturally is for him, I think, is the happy-go-lucky kind of kid that we saw. I saw that come back in Finland last year. I saw the smile. I saw, and really, as he, the more longer he was in Edmonton, the more he kind of tightened up on that kind of stuff, and not for the better. And well, I think he, he got, I think he got rejuvenated in Finland, and let's hope that that carries over to his uh, return to North America. And I'll and I'll add in this: um, it ain't easy playing for Ken Hitchcock. Um, and I won't put that I won't put that on Yessi, because I have an opinion about uh, Ken Hitchcock in today's NHL, and it ain't a good one. So I'll give him a pass on that experience. Yeah, Tippett seems to be able to look at a player, um, figure out what role that player should have on his team, put him in the role and get him to perform in it. Now, we, I, I would have liked, it would have been nice to see a fantasy actually with Tippett for a full year, honestly, because of that. And it's kind of disappointing the way this is all played out because I think maybe Tippett could have figured out, unlocked the key with this player. I think it's, I, I really saw that happen with a lot of players uh, under Dave Tippett this year, but not to be, and... Uh, and uh, so let's let's move on to Tulio, uh, the next pick. Kurt, what, what, what do we know about this uh, young player? Um, it's it's a it's a player who um, he's got good offensive tools, um, he, very good with his hands, um, sees the offensive zone well. Um, I understand is. Uh, is an above average skater, maybe not a great skater, but an above average skater. Um, uh, and you can, you can see where, um, the guy's going to need to end up and have a couple of years in the AHL and then see if he can squeeze his way into a bottom six role in the NHL, uh, coming from fifth pick. That's always a tall order. We always know that. Um, but he, and the entire, the entire, uh, range of players that were taken today. I think it's the only time in Oilers history that they've taken all forwards in a draft, correct? Yeah. Um, and we all know that an organizational weakness of this team was skill up front. And, and, and he fills that a role. So uh, I, I like the pick from, from those two aspects. Bruce, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah well, well, one is the, the kid's dad owns the team. Uh, that's a little different. Uh, and they drafted his own kid, 11th overall, I think, in the OHL draft I read somewhere. Uh, but it's not like he came in and uh, didn't work at it. Obviously, uh, everything I've read about him, all the stats, everything, like he improved significantly year over year. This year, uh, 62 games, 66 points as a uh, 17-year-old. And here's elite elite prospects here's their brief scouting report and I, this one there's some nice dimension to this report i quite liked it when the shot isn't an option tulio shows a great deal of adaptability integrating one touch maneuvers playing pucks into space manipulating defenders out of shooting lanes you name it and he can do it he plays with a high motor and shows real attention to detail on the defensive side now what's not to like about that 
you know, he's got subtle offensive skills. I mean, it doesn't say he's got a wicked shot, you know, but it sounds like he's a smart player with a, you know, high motor. Gotta like the sound of that. And, uh, He's not that big. I mean, you're 5'11", 165. And I mean, you look at some of the high-end picks last night. Some of those guys aren't any bigger than that. Yep. Uh, well, it's, 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 a, it's a different NHL now, right? So there, mm-hmm. there's more room for those guys now than there used to be. And you mentioned Literally. Smart. Bruce, that's the other thing. Three or four different places where I went looking for more information on this young guy. Smart kept showing up in, in one version or another. Like, it's it's... It's clear that the guy the, the the guy thinks the game really well for a seventeen year old. Mark uh, Seidel said uh, there's two there was two players I can't remember the other one off the top of my head, but uh, Tulio was one of them. The teams are really going to regret not having taken earlier in the draft. And Mark Seidel is one of the smartest uh, public draft experts out there. I mean, he puts a lot of a ton of experience, a lot of work into it, and so that was very very high praise. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully the Oilers did with the the late round forward picks what they did with the late round defenseman picks in 2015 <laughs> today. Uh, so yeah. the next one on our list is, what was the next one? Our, oh, Bruce, the guy you wrote about. Maxim, Maxim Berioskin. Berioskin, yeah. There's multiple spellings of both his first and last names, so, yeah. which will make <laughs> things fun. Uh, his he's actually a teammate of uh, 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 Dineshkin, Maxim Dineshkin, that Oilers picked last yeah. year. Same same uh, junior team, uh, Loco Yaroslavl, and Ber- ten months younger than uh, Dineshkin, but he outscored him last year. He's a way bigger man, like he is big. He's listed as six four two sixteen as a, a just turning nineteen year old. And that's uh, that's not just on Elite Prospects, but it's also on his KHL page. And he's actually in the KHL now. He's played seven games this mm-hmm. year for uh, Locomotive. And he's only playing seven minutes a night, which is pretty typical for the young guys. They really spot them in. But the fact is, he's made it up into the, the bigs, and he's big enough. And after picking two, two smaller guys, um, you know, you want to get a mix of guys. You want to get a right shot. Uh, he's a right shot. He's a winger. He likes to play left wing, but they some scouts see him as better suited ultimately to be a right winger in the National League, uh, but, a, but a winger. And uh, uh, a couple of videos I saw, some real nice hands with the puck. And so I don't know. I mean, skating is the issue. I read one that said he was a strong skater. Another said that that's what he needs to work on, and both can be true when you're talking about 18-year-old kids. The next uh, player on our list is 169th pick overall, Philippe Engaras, who plays for the University of New Hampshire. He's 21. He's Swedish. He's a right shot center. Uh, okay size. Um, f- people following the cult of hockey have been reading a lot about a player called Apley Rastanen in the last mm-hmm. years. And this player reminded, just seems like, okay, well, if Apley Rastanen doesn't turn out, then, then we have the new Apley Rastanen. Right, right here in Philip Engaras, um, just you know, kind of a solid two-way center, at, at, you know, with with some good good skating, um, some ability. But you know, from the Anton Lander school of, of um, Swedish forwards, and, and we'll we'll see. You know, Anton Lander was a much higher draft pick and has become a very good player in the KHL, and I think should still be the Oilers' fourth line center personally, but. Um, 
We'll see. I'll read what Carl Larson of Future Considerations said about him. Now, this was before um, Engrass came to North America, had to sit out a year because uh, he had played some pro hockey in Sweden and then played last year in New Hampshire. So this is an older report, but I'm sure it sums him up. He said, quote, he is a clever two-way center who, who reads the game well, has really great skating abilities and good worth ethic ethic has improved his release and is now a good shooter combined with the smartness which he used to find unexpected passes so there we go just that you know we'll see we'll see and uh kind of the good thing about this pick he, he's he is an older player uh but so so that's not necessarily a, a good thing but they got a couple years here at least two no. more years two years in college to watch this player and if after two years he turns out you can sign him and if he doesn't well that's kind of what you expect from a sixth round pick that it, it's, it's not going to work out. So, but again, right shot center fills an organizational need, right? Yeah. 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 Sure. You got to, hopefully one of those right shot centers somewhere is going to work out. I mean, it's funny, David, you mentioned, uh, uh, Apley Rasman, and then you mentioned Anton Lander. And I, I, I immediately jumped Philip Engeras to Anton Lander, but bear in mind that, for years, I've been comparing Apley Rasman to Anton Lander. <laughs> you know, so, sort of gritty. Like, I noticed all the C's. Like, he's been captain on elite prospect shows when they've been captain or assistant captain of their team. And I put some stock in that. I think that's... Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, want that's guys fair. that have been in leadership yeah. positions. And, you know, it's not a direct stat that you can measure. But uh, usually you see those guys that, that have a string of those. And they tend to be high-character players which Anton Lander was and is as we know and yep. uh, he was captain of Sweden's team at the World Junior for example but uh, uh, this uh, this guy I mean because of the NC2A and their crazy regulations about professionals he had to sit out an entire year because he played six games in the in the Swedish Hockey League as a call-up you know what a bunch of uh, jerks but, yeah I know it's like well, you can't we can't we have to keep our athletes pure and pristine. And in the meantime, the universities are just rolling in the money, right? Yeah, it's it's anyway. all a big scam, yeah. It's a big scam. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. But anyway, he got he kind of <laughs> got the short end of that. And he bounced back with a pretty half-decent, I mean, as a as a 20-year-old freshman, that's a little older, 15 points in 25 games and, and uh, you know, found a role, which is always uh, tricky for the freshman. We'll see how he does. I mean... To me, this pick was like totally off the board, and I couldn't find anything on the guy for about 10 minutes before finally found a couple of older <laughs> references to him. And because nobody had him in their draft guide, because he was in his third year of eligibility. So, Kurt, let's move on to the next uh, player. And um, Jeremiah Lindewall. Lindewall. Yeah. What do you have to yep. say about him? Lindewall. Um, this is a seventh round pick that I think could have been a six. Uh, this is, this is yeah, honestly, this is kind of, well, he's kind of, he's kind of an intriguing player, right? He's, he's, he's got good size. I think he's six one. Um, and if you, and if you follow a couple of different postings, his weight's gradually been going up. Like he's been, he's been growing into his frame. Uh, when you read about how he uses that frame, apparently very effectively around the net, he's able to box defenders out. He's good at protecting the puck and has good hands around the crease. So it, it, it feels like he's that kind of player. You know, maybe James Nealish in, in, in some ways. Um, interesting about his skating, he's described as an average skater, but with good acceleration. 
Um, to me, uh, you don't have to be a burner, if, but if you can get going fairly quick, you win puck battles. And so I thought that was a, that was a very interesting comment, and I saw that in, in a couple of places. Um, so I like this kid, uh, and I think for, for, for a seventh-round pick, when, when the odds are, are, are super low that he'll even be an AHL player, let alone an NHL player, it seems like, it seems like there's some promise in this guy. And I meant to preface it before we started talking about all these players. I think I've only seen one of these guys play even a single game. So what do I know? But when you do the research <laughs> and, 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 and you dig into what you can find, uh, it's amazing with Lindabell. It's like he's got some things going for him. And it'll be kind of fun to watch him develop over the next couple of years and see what he turns into. You know, the, so the, go ahead, Bruce. Which guy have you seen play, Kurt? Savoy. Right. I've never okay. seen any of them play. I don't I've believe. seen Dylan Holloway play. For Team Canada at the Linka Gretzky tournament in 2018, and he was one of the underagers on that team. Of course, Alexis Lafreniere was the one that was getting all the attention, and with reason. But uh, he uh, he made the team, and he you know he didn't look out of place. Like I can't say that I I followed him around the ice like I would have if I knew the Oilers were going to draft him in two years. But uh, uh, he didn't stand out in any kind of a bad way. Let's put it that way. He scored some points, and you know he won a gold medal. So. Yeah, I saw Carter Servoy one winter night at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. Nice. You seen his little brother play? Uh, He's uh, supposed Matthew? to be pretty darn good, Matt. He went first overall in the WHL draft. Now, Matthew yeah. Savoy, I have seen him play in the John Reed Bantam Tournament here in St. Albert mm. that they have every uh, every February, I think it is. And uh, it's uh, they bring in teams from all over the place. Well, I went to the gold medal game and Matthew Savoy was one of the, I think, youngest players on the ice. He was a year underage and all he did was score the tying and winning goals in the third period of the gold medal game. <laughs> that's you it, know. eh? <laughs> that's all. <laughs> I, I didn't even know, know he was. And you know, I thought, who's this number seven? Man, he's good. And then later I, I got sort of connected a name to the guy and then started to read some of the stuff. And I went, wow, maybe yeah. I saw it at the beginning or something. So It was it was interesting to listen to the draft as I did most of it today. Um, you know, there was just rave reviews about every player and you, you start, you know, they're like yeah. in big time comparisons, you know, and you know, and you th then you think, well, they can't all be this good. And then, but what it made me realize is, you know, just they are, but they are all really good. Like all of these players are fantastic hockey players. They are utterly fantastic hockey players. But then the second realization is, so, so we can we can hold that, and, and we don't have to discredit that. We we don't have to throw out the window just how fantastic these players are. But the pyramid gets so steep, like to make it mm -hmm. because all of these players drafted are so freaking good. They are so amazing. It's just so hard to get ahead. It's almost impossible because you are going up against such incredible talent to make it to the NHL. Mm -hmm. So, so you have Carter Savoy, who's just an amazing hockey player. Like if if you ever. <laughs> played with someone like that or watched him play if you know you just think what a guy but the pyramid is so steep it is yeah. so steep and that's why even these incredible young players only as a handful of them will turn out to be nhlers yeah, a third of them will play in the in the league some and uh, you know a fraction of that will be you know make a long career out of it hmm. so i'm willing to bet david of the 217 
picks in this year's draft, the 216 of those guys could dangle around you in your beer league game. <laughs> and the 217th with the pick that got taken away from Arizona. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, I was blessed when I, when I, when I lived and worked in Toronto and uh, in addition to covering the Leafs covered the Blue Jays. And I was absolutely blessed to sit beside the legendary Milt Donnell uh, oh, wow. in the press box oh, yeah. at, at Skydome. And, and Milt, every so often when you'd see a young kid come up and make a great play, Milt had these black rim glasses and he'd, he'd look at you and you'd look over top of his black rim glasses and say, never forget kid, they're all good. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right. And that's Uh the thing there. It's just gradients of good when they get to that level. Right. And it's the special ones that kind of float to the top. So. Milt was he? What an amazing guy he was! That's another story for another day. So. I was a summer. I was a uh, summer student at the Toronto Star in sports. One in back in nineteen eighty. Is that is that and right? Milt and, oh, wow. Milt and Al was there, and he had a gold phone. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> Someone had given him a gold phone. He was about. He must have been in his eighties then. He was very very. Uh, oh I, he, well, he was in his late eighties when I was when gentleman. I was working beside him. Yeah, he was he was the dean of the press gallery. What a guy. All right, let's talk about what's next for the Oilers, okay? Let's uh, dig into that. So there's there's a number of um, RFAs that did not get qualified today. And I'm just wondering, on that list of RFAs who didn't get qualified, including Andres Athanasio and Matt Benning, who could, either of them could easily end up back with the Oilers. We shouldn't discount that as a possibility once they see what the market holds for them. Um any, any, Bruce, what do you see? You, do you have the list in front of you? What are the, what are the names I that do. you find intriguing? I do. And I was expecting this list to be actually a little, little richer than it turns out to be. I thought there'd be more of these guys. And I didn't, uh, to be perfectly frank, didn't go through all the list of every team's expiring contracts with that in mind. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, there were some tough decisions made, but I don't think there was a single case of a, of a, uh, RFA signing for less than his qualifying offer. And today, for instance, Dylan DeMello, a very good player in Winnipeg that I hoped would hit the market, he signed a four-year extension with the Jets. But um, names that jump off the, the list, uh, Vinny Henestroza of Arizona, who wasn't tendered a $1.5 million qualifying offer, probably because they were worried about compensation. He, he's a pretty good player, but uh, I wouldn't want to get... Uh, wouldn't want to get in an arbitration battle with them, but when you're dealing with these guys this year, it's the teams that hold the upper hand, and you you might be able to get a guy on a fairly cheap hit. So uh, Calgary lets go of Mark Jankowski, which is a player that's never really impressed me, but he's a, a well-known name. He was going to be the best player in his draft year. Wasn't that about eight years ago? Yeah. Uh, uh, Columbus, <laughs> Devon Shore... Is a decent player. Uh, Brandon Brendan Perlini is a guy that they had high hopes for at one time. The longest list, I think, is Edmonton. Andreas Athanasiu, Matt Benning, Ryan Kuffner, Ryan Mantha, Agnes, Angus Redmond, Nolan VC, Cameron Hebig, Logan Day. And unfortunately, most of that list is just clearing out of guys that didn't pan out or in the case of the unfortunate Ryan Mantha, suffered a career-ending en- um, uh, affliction to his eye. Uh, Lucas Walmark in Florida. That's kind of an interesting player to me. I remember him in Carolina as being uh, 
uh, just a nice bottom sixer that uh, uh, got the job done. You haven't and mentioned Anthony Declare yet. Anthony Declare. I'm just getting down to Ottawa, and he's next. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Declare in Ottawa. Uh, and his qualifying offer, I think it was just a million and a quarter. But again, they didn't go there. They got lots of young players coming up in the Ottawa system. And for whatever reason. Uh, one guy I like, Dominic Simon in Pittsburgh. He's got uh, really good uh, underlying numbers. And... Uh, uh, you know, under the radar player, not a big scorer, but I think, you know, an NHL caliber player. Then again, maybe he's Joachim Nigard the seventh. You know, I mean, there are mm -hmm. these guys around, but but you want to have some of them on your team. Uh, Freddie Goche in Toronto, and I've heard Leaf fans with mixed opinions on that guy. But if you're looking for a depth center that uh, uh, has got some defensive side of his game, and also Evan Rodriguez, the guy that came to Toronto in the uh, in the big trade with Pittsburgh. They didn't qualify him at two million. They tried to sign him for less. I understand. Talking to my brother, who's a big Leafs fan, uh, but uh, he thinks they might circle back to him at a lower figure. Bruce, did Here's you mention Dominic Cahoon? Did you mention him? Uh, Dominic Cahoon. I either Is missed him or I haven't got to him yet. He's a he's also on the list. Dominic Simon. Dominic Cahoon. Yeah. Kahuna, he got 2.2 points per 60, which is a very, wow. very good rate of scoring. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's the, yeah. I get these Dominics mixed up, except for the one in Chicago. I know who he is. And uh, uh, Troy Stetcher in Vancouver. I was really yeah, surprised. That, that, that's kind of caught me by, uh, by surprise, too. Yeah, yeah, he's a good player. Like, I always see that guy good. They spent and too much money like, on fourth liners in Vancouver. Well, he's, yeah. a, he's, Matt, he's our Matt Benning, I guess, you know, like he's a, he's a good third pairing right shot defenseman. You know what? I saw him play twice in Vancouver this year and that's exactly what he is. He's, he's mm -hmm. an entirely serviceable NHL five, six. Mm -hmm. And then and he can uh, move the puck. He can yeah. pass that puck too. Yep. So those were the names, Nick cousins as well. in uh, in Vegas that played for Vegas in the playoffs, but just, you know, he's just a role player. Not, he's not somebody who's going to come in and play with McDavid or anything. And I'm not sure there's anybody on this list that you could say that about, but uh, they've the, got, the only, the, the only guy with that kind of a, even close to that kind of a pedigree would be Duclair, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's, there's a kid who can really skate mm -hmm. um, on the face of it, had a good offensive year. Although I think, three quarters of his output was in the first half of the season. Right. And he really tailed off in the second half. Let me just one more, one more here. Carter for from the Stanley cup champion and Tampa Bay lightning who played in the closeout games of the Stanley cup finals when they had a couple of guys hurt. And to my eye, a good young player and just one Tampa is in so much cap hell that mm -hmm. whatever margin he makes over minimum was something they probably they thought they could replace with less. So, but he might be a decent player to, uh, to check out. Let's do this. Um, you know, there's, there's talk of lots of free agents, Marks from Barry, uh, not so much a Taylor Hall anymore. There's talk, Chris Russell. If, what do you think would be just generally speaking, like what are the two or th three things you think the Oilers are going to do here uh, in the next couple of days? And we'll just go around the, uh, around the circle so just think of two or three things that you think the orders are going to do. And um, do you want, I can start or do you, do one of you want to start? I, I, why don't I start? Um, Chris Russell, I think there's a much greater chance 
that he sticks around with Clefbaum shoulder problems. Um, and Chris Russell's value to the team. Um, you know, he's, he can play in the top four if you need to play him in the top four. That's not ideal, obviously, at this point. You need a better puck mover, I think, than Chris Russell in the top four. But on the left side, in the top four, uh, or on the left side in the bottom pairing, he's not a bad player. He's a good hockey player. He's a very good defensive hockey player. You know, the, the, if you could move him, that opens up $4 million in cap space. So you could get a play, maybe you could get a player like that for $2 million. So that's got to be on their minds. If, if they can move him, maybe they're thinking that, but maybe they're thinking, ah, he's part of this team. He's, we know what we have. We're just going to go with it. Because then you have Russell, Clefbaum, Jones, and Nurse on your left side, and you're set. You're good for next year. Whatever comes, whatever comes what may. And move along, not think about anything else. So, so I'm leaning. I had been saying the alpha move this summer was to move out Chris Russell. That was before I, this knowledge about Clefbaum came out. So I'm going to back away from that and say, I see that's more of a much more up in the air. As for the free agents, you know, these big names tossed around. Like, I'm thinking Markstrom's a long shot. I just don't, the, I don't see the money working. I could be wrong about this, but I just don't, I'm not necessarily sold that Markstrom's that much better a goalie than some of the other less costly options with so many options out there. Um, spending five six years on markstrom at six million dollars a year doesn't really appeal to me honestly and I, I just wonder if that's the right thing to do for the oilers i wonder if the Oilers can outbid other teams for this player as well so i'm not big on that move because i think there's going to be cheaper options in net and um why don't i just leave it there those are well the last thing i want to talk about was barry larson so I don't think there's necessarily room for both of those defensemen on the team, Tyson Berry and um, Adam Larson. So the others would have to kind of decide to go in a different direction if they go with Tyson Berry, I, I think. Maybe you could have both. Maybe you could fit that under your cap. If Berry's the one big guy you bring in this year, the one big signing, I like the idea of Tyson Berry coming in. I think he's a hell of a hockey player. Um, but... Um, I wonder, you know, could you could you sign Barry and then move out Larson and um, get you know get something in return? I think you could. I think if you, you you I think Larson's movable at his contract, so I think that might be a possibility. Sign Barry and then then you move out Larson, or maybe they keep both. But if there is a big free agent signing, that would be my guess would be Tyson Barry. Kurt, why don't you go next? Um. I think goaltenders on the top of their list. Okay. Um, I don't have any inside information at all on, on Markstrom. Um, um, but the one thought that I did have was if they could afford him, the only way they could afford him is if they were going to um, move Koskinen. Can they find a landing place for that contract? And before Ottawa made their trade earlier today, I thought, you know, maybe the Senators would take a guy like that. You know, I can see Koskinen playing 50 games in Ottawa. Well, that's not going to happen now. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's I think that's the other chip that would have to fall uh, for for that that kind of a free agent signing and goal. But I think I think goaltending is 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 on top. So there's that. Um, on on defense, um, I'll actually just pick up quickly on two things. I was told by two people, two well-placed people today, 
that there's a very good chance Chris Russell stays this year yeah. for the reasons that you just gave. Um, with Tyson Berry, and I've, I've tweeted this out before, but I haven't said it. Tyson Berry would absolutely make the Edmonton Oilers a better team, but he is not a first-pairing defenseman. He's, he is not a strong defender. He's a very good puck mover and an excellent power play guy. Um, but if you ask me, um, if he's on your team, uh, Adam Larson is your, is your first-pairing right-shot defenseman. And if Barry is your two, then Ethan Barry is your three. And so I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, have, I have trouble seeing how that's, that's going to work over on that side. So I'm, I'm sold on what Bar- Barry brings what he brings. Um, but he's not going to play against the other team's best players. Not um, if you can help it. Yeah. And the last thing is, and um, I, I found it very interesting today with the buyout of, um, of Turris. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy that has a really solid resume. He's no longer what he used to be. Um, but if you put him on this Oilers team as a right-handed shot, third-line center... I think you could do one hell of a lot worse. I think he's the kind of guy they're looking for, but I highly doubt if the Oilers are interested, they're probably not the only people that will be in the bidding for him because a lot of people will cover right, right shot centerman uh, of his quality as much as the Oilers would. So those are kind of my three thoughts overall. Bruce. Yeah, well, Terrace was badly overpaid in Nashville. I mean, they made two mistakes. They traded for him in that big three-way deal with uh, Colorado and Ottawa where they moved on the uh, Samuel Girard and a second-round pick and another NHL player, uh, Vladislav, I've forgotten his last name, that's playing part-time at least in Colorado. But Girard was the, the, the big loss there. No, uh, Girard was the big loss in, in that trade. Uh, and then they gave him a six-year times six million dollar contract, and he was one of the murderers row of big contracts they had down the middle in Nashville with Ryan Johansson, now Matt Duchesne, uh, Kyle Turris, and Nick Bonino, who they also moved out today. Uh, so they cleared out the bottom part, uh, the bottom six. Uh, I don't see Turris as like I see him as more of a skill player. I don't really see him as a, as your uh, at least your typical three uh, C as they're described. Like he was sheltered uh, by his coach in terms of the the, the uh, caliber of competition he played against. He started way more in the offensive zone than the defensive zone. Uh, he got uh, he was well below fifty percent on faceoffs and lower than that in the defensive zone. And those are all the reasons you want your right-handed stick third center to look after those kind of situations. And and I don't, and maybe it's just he had a really bad year, but he did have a bad year. He was, uh, he was the worst minus player on Nashville in the regular season and the playoffs. And that was basically earned at even strength. If I could pick up on that, I think the value of having a guy like that would be because everybody has been talking about Yes, he VR, you know, maybe playing in the first top two lines. Well, I think it's highly unlikely that he starts in either of those spots. But starting uh, as a third line right wing with Kyle Turris in the center, I can think of a worse pairing than that. And then then your Riley Shahin 
million dollar settlement centerman is is your is your four C, which is what you describe, Bruce, as the guy that gets those tougher assignments. It's him and Drysaddle that take the D zone draws and, and stuff like that. I, I guess I'm just seeing tourists as a possibility in a different role in the third line that actually would have some juice as opposed to being more of a defensive alignment. In the Ryan Strom role, eh? <laughs> yeah. With maybe Tyler Ennis on the left hand side. Give him more think, than a week if, to get going. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, if you think if you think Turris Ennis Pugliarvi as a as a third line, there should be some goals in that trio, right? Yeah, so it's all of a sudden you've got you know three pretty usable lines. I guess that's the other thing, right? Is there's a there's a logjam on right wing now, so something's got to give there. Yeah, they and on left wing they have right now they have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Negard Benson, and James Neal essentially, unless I'm missing someone. Um, so Tyler Ennis might uh, be added to that group or a better player than Tyler Ennis. But Tyler Ennis was a pretty good player. Um, his points yep. per 60 was was pretty darn good the last two years. If he can stay healthy, Tyler Ennis can play hockey. I, I thought really, he did everything I, they asked him to when he came over in the spring. Yeah. So uh, the, we'll, we'll end with this one thing. I'm going to put you both on the spot. The, uh, on the current roster, the most likely Oiler to be traded is, and I'm going to go with J.J. Carroll. I think that um, if they bring in a third-line centre, Haas is completely capable of playing fourth-line centre. And there's lots of teams that seem to be wanting to get bigger and tougher. So um, I'm going to go, as much as you'd think maybe it's going to be one of these right-wingers, I'm going to go... I'll still go with J.J. Kara as my most likely Edmonton order to be traded in the next week. I'll say uh, Alex Chason, not because I want to see him go. I, th- I think he's a, he's, a, he's a very useful player on this club. Uh, but with the logjam that, that is what it is on right wing, um, and his salary would be you know a significant amount of money going out, uh, which wouldn't hurt the situation either. I think those two things um, probably lean in my direction. So, so officially, it would be not a guy I'd want to see go, but I think probably a guy that we might see go. Bruce? Yeah, I wouldn't like that. I like Chase on. I mean, uh, I like I mean, him too. I mean, it's fan club. I, I think he's great. I really like his work on the power play. Very underrated. And uh, and, a, yeah. and a nice slow event player at even strength, and I think he's a, just a kind of a quiet leader uh, at this team, and, and and the one guy that's won the Stanley Cup. It's nice to have one of them in the room. Look, I'm so, I'm with I'm with you, yeah. but he's not going to play ahead of Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. Cassian brings a dimension that nobody else in the team brings. Yeah, uh, and if we all agree, the right place for Yessi to start is three. Mm-hmm. Well, then all of a sudden you're paying Alex Chase on that much money to be a fourth line right wing. Yeah, power. you're right. It's like if you're going to give Pulley a shake here, like a real, mm-hmm. it's almost like you got to move Chase on. Like Archibald. Yeah, well, I'm going I'm to just straddle the cage and I'm going to say name Zach Cassian as the guy. That, <laughs> like, <laughs> people looking, the guy's looking for uh, for big, heavy hockey players and the other's looking for cap space and maybe there's a fit. I, th- I have a feeling that Cassian's probably not in the good graces of everybody in the Oilers uh, upper, uh, you know, brain trust after his no-show in the playoffs. That was uh, after after just signing the contract. That was a real disappointment. That was That's one exit interview. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that after uh, Zach went oh, oh for the playoffs with minus four 
And two game McDavid had more hits in each of two different games than Cassian had in the entire series. McDavid. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, when, when your game's not going for you, Kurt, you'll attest to this. When the puck's not going in for you and you're a physical player, what are you going to do? Yeah, what else are you doing something. for me, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it didn't that's happen. Fair. So. In I, the meantime, in the meantime, there's there's also Russell, who's the your fifth guy on right wing. Yeah, who is yeah. far from an offensive dynamo. Well, Josh but, Archibald is your fifth guy. Yeah. Russell's and, and, sixth guy. <laughs> and, and Russell's a guy who never made a mistake, right? Like, talk about a solid fourth-line player. So, yeah. He, I don't think there's much of a trade market for, for Patrick Russell. No, I'm not suggesting that. It's <laughs> yeah. just, but there's, there's a budget guy mm. you could put at four right wing, right, and save a pile of money. So, you know. Yeah. Well, they're, it's going to be, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe they are going to go splurge on the goalie. Maybe we'll see that. Hey, I'm not against having really solid goaltending. Uh, uh, that's a big priority. And I, I actually am a big Koskinen fan. I wouldn't like to see him go. I think he's a very good NHL goalie. And I'd like to see him supplemented by another very good one and and just have roll those guys out next year. So. Well, let's leave it there. We're going to have the UFA day on July, Friday, this Friday. So maybe we'll be getting back together then. Yeah, one tiny correction. I did look up Carter Verhage and he was at NHL minimum. So that wasn't to, that wasn't for any kind of marginal cap reason. They just dumped him. And he was the AHL scoring champion the year before last. But I guess he just didn't have enough dimension to his game to, to make it full-time in Tampa. Wow. And a final note on Anthony Duclair, he's representing himself which mm. is a pretty novel approach. Good luck it's been that. done before, yeah, but man. rarely successfully. Kevin yes. Lowe. <laughs> Kevin Lowe famously represented himself, as I recall, in against one of the toughest negotiators there ever was, Glenn Sather. <laughs> All right. Thanks for talking. Thanks for talking, guys. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Take care, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.